Welcome to I'm Telling, where we have real stories from real students. Our podcast features students from South Mountain Community College Storytelling Institute, located in Phoenix, Arizona. These stories are recorded live in a classroom setting with just one take. Home. Home. One of the creational sounds of the universe. Almost the same tone in my head when I think about it. The sound of bees. Bees, one of the foundational species of the planet. We don't think about them really enough, except for when we're terrified or when we break open a jar of honey. We should think about them every moment we put a piece of food in our mouth. After all, they are one of the reasons our agriculture is so successful in this country. It would limp along without bees. It wouldn't do nearly the job. We'd be spending a lot more money, and we wouldn't get nearly the variety that we have now that we appreciate, that we have come to expect. Bees have the task of pollination. They are amazing creatures, small, thousands of different varieties. Of course, we're all most familiar with the honeybee. But even all of the other bees, the bees that make me happy, like the big yellow and black striped bumblebee that kind of careens along like it's drunk, going from flower to flower and bumping into it, collecting its pollen, wild, not kept, just happily doing its job, equally important in the world of pollination, but not cultivated by man. Now, if a bear comes across a bumblebee hive, there's no hesitation he's going to break into it and have some honey. But it's not the same as the honeybee, the European honeybee that we've all come to rely on. Now, there is a farmer. She's new to farming. There's a farmer in West Virginia. She used to be a techie in the city, decided to move her family to an old farm that she purchased on a whim. Her son, her daughter, her husband, all city folk, moved to this farm where she was determined she was going to raise vegetables without any pesticides, it would be organic, there'd be no GMO. This was the lifestyle she wanted her family and herself to enjoy. And in the process of this move, one of the things that she was determined to do was to keep bees. And she went to classes and she did the research and she got her first hive and she waited for the bees to arrive. When they arrived, she was excited. She got them very nervously into the hive and she had the help of George, who was an old beekeeper, and told her all the lore and gave her all the information and helped her find a bee suit that would fit and calmed her fears and helped her light the smoker and all those things that you do when you keep bees. That first year was a little rocky. You know, she wanted to get some honey out of the thing, but they weren't well enough yet established. But by the second year, she had begun to learn the cycles of the bee. She knew that in the spring, 
when they were just starting to wake up. She would start to watch for activity at the hive. She could see that this had been a more successful year. There weren't as many dead bees around the opening. She could hear the sounds in the hive, the activity beginning to pick up. She had deliberately planted some early flowering wildflowers on her farm so the bees would have something to eat. And as she began to check the hive for the spring season, something she should do every month, she began to talk to the bees because George told her she should. And she related to them all the happenings on the farm, all the things that had happened since the last time she'd been to tend them. And as she was talking to the bees, thinking, this is so dumb, I'm uncomfortable, she was also wondering, amazed at the life of the bee. She knew where the queen was, or where the queen liked to hang out in the brood chambers, slightly bigger than all the other bees. She knew that the drones, which were her husband's, were in there doing their jobs or kind of trying to stay out of the way. There weren't very many of them because it's spring and, well, they let them go for the winter. And by let them go, I mean they don't feed them so they die because they're not important for the life of the hive. The queen has kept only her worker bees, just enough to have enough heat in the hive to survive based on how much honey they collected. So now they're waking up, and now she's laying more eggs, and now those hexagonal chambers that they had given them the combs to fill out, which they are capable of building themselves because they're the perfect engineering miracle to easily cap and fill. They're easily constructed. And she's looking at these combs and looking that the size of the comb depth and width determines what kind of bee is going to go in there. They get shoved in with all the larvae, right? All of those eggs. They start out all the same, mostly. And then they get fed. They get fed some royal jelly. They become the queen. If they don't get, don't get fed jelly, they only get fed a certain amount, they become a drone. If they get fed a different amount, they become a worker bee, the ladies of the hive. And she thinks about all of the work that went in to create that honey. And she amazes at the fact that here's an insect whose job is pollination, and in return, the flowers give them the nectar. And the bees take in the nectar and some of the pollen back to the hive, mixed up some spit and some enzymes. They've fanned it like mad. And at the end result is something that we ingest. The only insect that has a byproduct other than itself that we ingest. She puts the hive back together and she realizes that with the number of bees that she's going to want to keep for the amount of honey that she's going to want to raise, she's going to need more bees. So she goes off to the internet and she orders some more. Now bees, besides all these wondrous things, they have their place in our history and in our legends and in our lore. For example, have you heard of the mellified man? They say, nobody can prove this, but I believe it is true. They say 
that back in old Egyptian, Chinese, and Asian times, that the mellified man would be an elder who had given his life to the tribe and to his descendants. And at the end of life, they began eating only a diet of honey. They bathed in honey. They drank honey water. Obviously, a diet of only honey would only hasten their demise in this world. And when they were done, the priest would come and collect this body, this vessel, that was almost sticky with honey. And they would put it in a coffin and fill it with honey. And the honey would crystallize along with the body. And 75, 100 years later, the priests would come back, remove the body, and it was candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy, yummy is your father's mummy. (laughs) And that was medicine or a treat or a legacy. It depended on the culture that you asked. The very thought that this sacred honey that was used to bury this individual that was consumed and now we're consuming, it's one of those marvelous, legendary pieces of wisdom that you pick up and you go, ew. (laughs) They say that Alexander the Great, killed far from home, was carried back an esophagus filled with honey because honey is antibacterial and antifungal it has a desiccant quality so it is a preservative so you can preserve things in honey including people and that they finally carried him home and where his tomb is there's arguments about that too and I thought to myself do I want to be buried in honey and I think It takes thousands of bees, thousands of miles, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of blossoms and work to create even a pint of honey. I cannot even imagine the number of bees that would have been sacrificed for me to agree to be buried in honey. So now I've scratched that off my list. Now our farmer, it's summer. It is time to collect the honey. The bees have been busy. She's made sure that there's been enough for them to eat. She knows that they've been traveling thousands and thousands of feet and in a hive of that sort, cumulative, to make enough honey for a pint is equivalent to 50,000 miles. So they do a lot of work. They don't get a lot of credit. And she's realized that it's the hard time now because it's the hottest part of summer. And bees are really only happy between 55 degrees and about 90 degrees at the high end. They'll work at other times, but it becomes harder. They fan more to cool themselves off in the fan to keep that temperature constant. But in the high pieces of summer, and this is Virginia, and it doesn't get as hot as here, in the high pieces of Virginia, she's realized that she's going to need to plant an old-fashioned hedgerow. 
filled with wild plants that will give her some privacy from her neighbors in the road, but maybe she can construct it in such a way that it will have a blooming time for three quarters of the year, especially in this hard middle summer time. So she goes and she does the research and she finds all the plants that she's going to need that will bloom at the right times with a variety of, of colors and tastes, all the things that will draw in these beautiful bees. And when she goes to collect the honey, she's puzzled. The bees had done really well last month when she checked on them, and I know it's, it's the high season, but she was puzzled why there was such a lack of activity. And she realized that one of her hives had swarmed, and she was devastated. She had done all this work. She had treated them so well. Why had they left? And so she, of course, she called George. And George laughed and said, didn't you just tell me that your daughter moved and went to college? And she said, yeah. Did you tell the bees? George, I did not tell the bees. Well, that's the problem. You have to tell the bees, especially about moves. They get very distressed. And she says, you're crazy. George, I, he goes, I'm serious. You have to tell them about births. You have to tell them about deaths. You have to tell them about any important, significant life events. They are sensitive to the changes. Old beekeepers will tell you a thousand times, you have to tell them. If you don't, this is what happens. <sighs> So she ordered another hive, because that's what she do. And now she's made sure to tell them. She went and told them when her dad died. The bees hummed. She told them when she sprained her ankle. She had her husband roll her out in her wheelchair to tell them, and the bees hummed. She told them when the tractor didn't work. She told them when... Her daughter got a scholarship. She told them when she got a new opportunity to play her music that she had given up when she moved to the farm. And the bees began to prosper. And she didn't feel quite so silly. And so the following year, when she went at summer and she opened that hive, she finally had 25 pounds of extra honey that she could safely remove from the hive for her own use, for use at the farmer's market. And it was in such demand, it was such delicious honey that it sold out within 12 hours online. She didn't even get it to the market. And when she called George to tell him the news, she, he told her, I told you, you got to talk to your bees. They are members of your family. Well, it's fall. The bees are quieting now. They're going to go and they're going to gather in a lump. They've kicked the drones out. Sorry, gentlemen. They've kicked the drones out. And the last of the fresh hatching of the worker bees, the females, have gathered around the queen and they're clumped up into a big heating source. And there they will remain. There they will sleep, not hibernate. They're awake during the day. They buzz. They still have some jobs. They don't lay. The queen doesn't lay any more eggs. There's no more brood. They just eat what they need, and they stay warm, and they dream.
you are interested in learning how to become a storyteller, please visit our website at southmountaincc.edu forward slash storytelling.